practice already. A group of college students were out caroling, and they were singing the most unusual song. Uh, they were singing, she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. She'll be coming around the mountain. She'll be coming around the mountain. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. The name of that, she'll be coming around the mountain. And that's an SMU song, the Paluna on the Mustangs. A man listening to them said, that's not a Christmas carol. The leader of the group said, well, certainly it is. It's about anticipation. It's about expectation. It's about hope. It's about faith. The man said, I still think it's illogical. Well, I think their song is a little illogical, too, but you know something? The whole Christmas story is illogical. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that God would choose to come to the earth in the form of a baby. A baby. This incarnation, which is what it is, God coming in human flesh, as I read you earlier and want to speak to again, let me underline it. The 14th, chapter, 14th verse of chapter 1 of John, the Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. Paul Tournier in his marvelous book, Guilt and Grace, says the incarnation reveals the paradoxical inversion of all things. That's a great statement. The incarnation reveals the paradoxical inversion of all things. You look up the word inversion or inverts in the dictionary as I did, and it means, among other definitions, it means to turn inside out and upside down. And that's exactly what happened at Christmas. God took the top side of heaven and brought it to the downside of earth so that we who live in the mangers of the world can rise to the throne of God. Inversion. The incarnation inverts the way we see God. The way we see God. God is not up somewhere, out somewhere, mysteriously obliterated by the clouds. He's not on some Mount Olympus. He's not vague and inaccessible. He's a baby. Did you know? He's a baby. Born in a barn. And for the first time in human history, men and women had to look down to see God. The essence of purity was born in a barn. He who created the world, he who made the cattle around him, he's too weak to reach out and touch the heads of the cattle. He 
who had spoken worlds into existence could only cry and sputter. Who would ever have thought that God would come in that manner? God would come as Caesar in Rome, an emperor living on the Palatine Hill ruling the world. That's the way God would come. Or someone else would say, no, he would come in the tradition of the Athenian philosophers. He would come like another Socrates or a Plato or an Aristotle. Or he would come as a poet like Virgil or Homer. Or he would come as a businessman making all the money in the world, be richer than Croesus. No, he came as a poor little baby in a barn. So that all mankind could see this incredible inversion. He came as a baby. He went to school as a little boy in Nazareth. God went to school in Nazareth. Learned how to read Hebrew, learned how to speak Hebrew. Well, didn't he know that? He knew everything, but he laid it all aside, as Paul tells us in the second chapter of the book of Philippians. He laid all of that aside, and he had to learn to walk like you have to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk like we have to learn to talk. He had to learn table manners, and he had to learn to say thank you. He had to learn to do all of those things that children have to learn. He became like us so that we could become like him. He came to identify himself with us, and in so doing, save us from our sins. As a young man, he worked in a carpenter's shop. He had to be taught by his earthly father, Joseph. God working in a carpenter's shop. Now, you think your job gets tedious and tiresome at times? Certainly it does. All jobs do. Hot days, cold days, outdoors, indoors. God at work in a carpenter's bench. God at work building a house of stone. God at work digging a foundation. God at work dealing with difficult people who didn't like the way he built the house. Then he was the God-man at 30 years of age in a brief ministry of three years. He taught, he preached, he healed, he performed miracles. Do you see God crying? Garden of Gethsemane? You see God dying on a Roman cross? He came for us. What an incredible, incomparable, phenomenal event. It's interesting, he never traveled more than 100 miles from his home after he was taken to Egypt by his parents and brought back to Nazareth. Never wrote a book. Never wrote a piece of music. Never painted a work of art. Never saw television. Never rode in an automobile. Never talked on the telephone. Yet this sandal-wearing carpenter from Nazareth has changed the world. And better than that, he's changed me. He changed you.
millions upon millions upon millions of people look to him as their Lord and Savior. And millions upon millions of people have been willing to die before they would deny him. And tens of thousands of people out all over the world proclaiming the message of God becoming a man so that men might become sons of God. Son of Mary, that's right, but he was older than his mother. Jesus didn't look like his mother. His mother looked like him. The Bible says from before the Jesus said, before the foundation of the world, I am the great I am. Son of God, yes, but not the descendant of God. He does not come after God. He is co-equal. He is one with the Father. So the incarnation inverts the way we see God. It also inverts the way we see life. Or should invert the way we see life. You know, I believe faith has a lot to do with the direction in which we look. Faith has a lot to do with the direction in which we look. Two men looked out from prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. Which way do you look? Read an interesting statement that just depressed me a little bit about a week or so ago. An individual said, do you realize it's always midnight somewhere in the world? And then I was reminded of a quote I had read much earlier, years ago, that stuck in my mind that on the sundial, on the face of a sundial in Great Britain are written the words, it is always sunrise somewhere in the world. You can look at midnight if you choose. I'm going to look at sunrise, resurrection, life beyond the midnights of the world. I read a new definition of a pessimist. A pessimist is someone who blows out the candle so they can enjoy the dark. God help us not to blow out the candle. Let God help us to light the candle. For the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. Faith has a lot to do with the direction in which we look. Do you remember Simon Peter having enough faith to get out of the boat and walk on the water? What a marvelous event in his life, but suddenly he did what I suppose I would have done. I have done. Take your eyes off the Lord and begin to look at the waves, and you begin to go under. And you cry out, Lord, help me, save me. And he always reaches out and grabs our hand as he did Simon Peter. You see, the problem we have is we need to let this incarnation remind us we don't need to look at the waves. We need to look at the Christ of the waves. He walks on the waters. And sure, there are waves out there. There are waves of sickness, and there are waves of sorrow waves that engulf us as they have in the past 24 hours as we've met with people in the hospital and met with people at home and the death of a loved one. The waves of sorrow engulf us, but we look beyond the waves to the one who walks on the waves, who walks over death as the conquering king. So the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God in Christ, inverts the way that we see God and the way we see life. And then my second life point, it involves the way, it inverts the way, changes the way 
We serve God. The incarnation changes the way we see God in human form. It changes the way we serve God. How do we serve God? What do you give a God who has everything? What can we do for God that he cannot do for himself? Edwin Markham has written a poem entitled How the Great Guest Came. And the poem begins telling us about Conrad, a cobbler, a shoemaker, who in the middle of the night had a dream. And he dreamed that the Lord was coming to his house the next day. He awakened, startled by that dream. He got up immediately. And he began cleaning the house and fixing it up and decorating it. The Lord's coming to my house. He started a meal, the best meal he could produce. And he got ready for the great event. As he turned it over in his mind during those early morning hours, the poem reads, he lived all the moments o'er and o'er when the Lord should enter the lowly door, the knock, the call, the latch lifted up, the lightened face, the offered cup, he would wash feet where the spikes had been. He would kiss the hands where the nails went in. Then at last he would sit with him and break the bread till the day grew dim. In the middle of the morning there was a knock at the door his heart began to beat like a trip hammer. And with a nervous hand, he went over there and opened the door. And there stood a beggar with rags for shoes, cold and shivering. And Conrad invited him in to get warm. And he gave him the best pair of boots he had made. And the beggar thanked him and thanked him and left. Conrad sat down waiting for Jesus to come. A few hours later, he was beginning to feel more and more anticipation. It was getting close to noon or a little after. And suddenly there was another knock at the door. He rushed over to the door again with nervous hand, expecting to see the Lord, and he lifted the latch, and there stood an elderly woman, cold, and some wood that she'd picked up, carrying in her arms, and she looked tired, and Conrad invited her in, and had her sit down, 
and you serve her the meal that's prepared for Jesus. Don't you thank him over and over? And she left. She thought, I don't have the meal to give him, but I'll do the best I can. When he comes a little later, long toward the late afternoon, another knock at the door. This is it. This is it. This is him. Went over and opened the door. And there stood a little frightened, shivering, lost child. And Conrad brought the little one in. Got the little one over the fire. Found out where he lived. mother who was so excited she could hardly express her gratitude. She clutched the child and thanked Conrad. And Conrad had to leave. He said, I must run. He rushed back to his house afraid that he missed Jesus. The evening came and Conrad was very dejected. And he began to cry. Why is it, Lord, that your feet delay? Did you forget that this was the day? Then soft in the silence, a voice he heard, lift up your hearts. I have kept my word. I was the beggar with the bruised feet. I was the woman you gave to eat. I was the child on the homeless street. I was hungry, and you fed me, said Jesus. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was without clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you came to me. I was in prison and you visited me. And his followers said, when, when did we do that? We'll remember doing that. When did we feed you and give you something to drink and welcome you and give you clothes and visit you when you were sick and go see you when you're in prison? When did we do that? And his answer, Jesus' answer, 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, when you did it to one of the least of these, the little ones, the lonely ones, the lost ones, the hungry ones, the thirsty ones, when you did it to them, you did it to me. You can't serve God in any other way but by serving people. Only way, according to Jesus. People who are hungry for the bread of life People are hungry for physical bread. We need as God's people to provide both. Jesus did. Provide water for the thirsty, the physically thirsty. And provide the water of life for those who spiritually thirst for that water which once they drink, they will never thirst again. 
He will be the all-sufficient water of life to them. People that are strangers, people that are strange to us, they may have strange habits or strange language or strange practices in their life. I was a stranger. I was estranged. And you welcomed me. You put your arm around me and said, come on in. I was without clothes. I just felt stripped. I felt naked in the world. The cold got me, and I was embarrassed about myself. And you came like the prodigal father came and put a robe on my back. People that are sick. People that are physically sick. People that are spiritually sick. People that are mentally or emotionally sick. We need to reach out to them. Minister to them. Help them. I was in prison. I visited in the jails. In fact, I did so just a couple of weeks ago. And if you've ever done it, you know what a strange kind of experience it is, how foreign it is to many of us. I'm looking into the faces of a few people I know who have been in prison, and I admire you. I know the difficulty you went through. And I know the Lord has blessed you through that experience in some way beyond our imagination. But I tell you, you walk into prison and you hear those doors close behind you, it's an eerie sound. so silent. People that are imprisoned by fear. People that are imprisoned by habits that have taken control of them. People who are imprisoned by doubt. Visit them. Welcome them. For in as much as we do it to the least of these, do it to them. And you know what? He'll say thank you. Well, Bugner, how does he say it? I don't know. But he says it in the language that only the heart can understand. say, well, Buckner, this all seems strange to me. Well, let me tell you, you're welcome here. You say, I'm not sure I qualify. I'm not sure I live the way I ought to live. Let me welcome you here. You say, well, I'm hungry to understand more. Well, so we, are we all. I welcome you. 
we welcome him because he welcomes us. And so this invitation I extend in his behalf, in his stead, I stand here to invite you to trust the Lord as your Savior, to come be a part of his church, to help us feed and give water of life, to provide clothing, to visit, to heal, to help, to save. I'll be here to greet you. Maybe you want to come in a rededication of your life. What an appropriate time to do it. To re-give your life to him and then to translate that giving into giving to others. I'll be here to greet you. Dear Lord Jesus, come into this room now as you came into Conrad's shop long ago. Through people. And use us here who sing and who speak and who pray to be the instruments of your invitation to people today, whoever they are, to accept you as Lord and Savior. And to know that the knock they hear upon their heart at this moment is your spirit inviting himself in. May they open the door, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'll be here to greet you. Let's stand and sing.
I sincerely hope you have enjoyed worshiping with us today. Now, if there is any way I or anyone on our church staff can help you, please let us know. We would count it a great privilege. Now, remember that the Lord loves you and that he will always be with you. Thank you for joining us in worship today. If you have a specific need or a prayer request or wish to have additional copies of our worship service, please write to our tape ministry at Trinity Baptist Church, 319 East Mulberry, San Antonio, Texas, 78212. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful day.